signs of Christ's coming. What evidence do you see? Well, I'm sure you've seen some additional evidence since I preached this sermon. To me, the most significant event has been the statement that the, that the protest is over and many Protestants are climbing on that bandwagon and they had a signing the 31st of October saying that the protest was over. They were rejoining the Catholic Church and, uh, you know, that's a real fulfillment of prophecy in, in chapter 17 of Revelation. The mother is getting back her daughters. And so, you know, we, uh, we live in a time where we need to be constantly watching and may it inspire us. We don't want to be like, you know, the one that called wolf so many times that finally when the real wolf came, there was no response. Uh, that, that is a danger. And in fact, some Seventh-day Adventists, I believe, are going down that path. They say, well, you've been talking about these things so long. Uh, you know, it's, it's nothing to worry about. But we can't afford to be like that because... In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 and 3, it says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as the thief in the night. Now, the question is, do we know that? He's, he's telling that the Thessalonian church knows that, that Jesus' coming will be like a thief in the night. Then he says, for when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now I was reminded of a signing that took place a couple of years ago, and they had every major religion in the world represented. And... The speaker that spoke just before the signing was a young person. And the young person was calling for all these religions to unite. You know, Buddhism, Christianity, Jewish, everything. And there was somebody there from all of those religions plus a whole bunch more. And he was calling for them in the name of peace to sign an agreement. Their idea was to get over war, to get past war, where we're not, you know, in danger of war anymore. So that is very significant in light of this text, because they're going to actually get to the place where they think they've achieved peace, and then sudden destruction comes upon them. Another very important text, which we're seeing the fulfillment of, is in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? 
Now, there's even some Adventists predicting that it's a long ways off. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. No need to be alarmed about the second coming of Jesus. No need to get excited about the events that are happening in the world today. And that's called a scoffer here that really doesn't uh, worry about all those things. They probably heard too many and they're getting tired of it. In Revelation 6, we go back to some of the first signs and that was a long time ago. And yet, those signs were given us to get us in the mood to get ready for the second coming of Christ. And so I believe the longer the distance between now and when these signs happen, the more it should waken us, not fall asleep, not, you know, get hardened to all these events. Revelation 6.12, the revelator thus describes the first of the signs to precede the second advent. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. There's three of those early signs. But notice this comment on people's reaction. Review and Herald of July 30, 1889. How rapidly the signs of his coming are fulfilling before our eyes. If, if Ellen White could be shown that and make that statement when those signs were being fulfilled, what would be said today? The signs of his coming are fulfilling before our eyes, and yet how few will be warned of the fast hastening destruction. So the signs are happening constantly and so on, and yet the end result is how few will pay attention to those things. You know, I'm sure that either way, if we didn't know about the signs, there would be great danger. But when there are so many signs, there's great danger. Because we get hardened to it. Happens so often. And so here, there's a warning. Few will be warned of the fast hastening destruction. And here's part of the problem. How few will humble their souls, repent of their sins, have faith in Christ, and be saved in the everlasting kingdom. You know, there's a, a phrase I heard from Harold Lance, a lawyer, called it stonewalling, where somebody has something wrong, but they don't want to admit it. 
And so they act like it's not there. They may even convince themselves it's not there. That's a pretty dangerous practice when Jesus is almost here. We need to be able to see every defect that we have. We need to even be asking him to reveal any defects that we're blinded to or that we're not able to uh, want to face because it's a whole lot better to face it now than when it's too late. Now's the time. So there's a lot of humbling of our souls that has to happen. There is repentance of our sins that has to take place as we see those things. But then, he doesn't want us to get discouraged out of it. He wants us to have faith in Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is really working, we're, we're not going to feel real good about ourselves. And there's going to be a real temptation to give up. And a temptation to say, well, I don't want to see anymore. You know, don't, don't reveal anymore to me. But, you know, we can't go that path. We have to be willing to see what it is and yet hang on to Jesus. You know, that's going to be the test in Jacob's trouble is that we see it all and we have to not give up. And so that even happens now. Now here is another big problem we're facing. Signs of the Times of June 4, 1894. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now there's... Uh, at least a few of those I've seen on the internet. I think there's at least uh, three the last time I looked. Three individuals claiming to be Christ. Satanic delusions and deceptions will increase as we near the end of verse history. Jesus warned his followers as to what should take place just prior to his coming, he said, Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, who would they deceive? The very elect. Now that says something about how deceptive some of these things are going to be. And what do you think is our main protection against this? Steadying the Word of God, right? And receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to rightly understand the Bible and to rightly apply it. And so here, I believe, we have a special danger for Seventh-day Adventists. He hasn't overlooked Seventh-day Adventists. Somewhere 
the idea entered the Adventist church that it won't come from the inside. It'll only be facing us from the outside. And so we're almost totally unprepared <coughs> for any deceptions that come from the inside. But I didn't put this text in there. If you read about Paul there in the latter part of Acts, he points out that the deceptions are going to come from two places. They're going to come from outside and from inside. And so we, we need to be aware of that. Yes. I believe they'll be Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, but it's talking about those that are the 144,000. In other words, the ones that are going to go through, they're the elect. And the deceptions are going to be so sneaky that it's close to deceiving them. It doesn't, but it's close. And they really have to be prepared so that they don't get deceived. Yes. It might not be that the elect would be deceived, but the way I've, I've come to this conclusion as I studied that whole uh, end time scenario that could happen. If, in other words, if we don't do our job, and by that I mean the whole church, if we don't do our job, there is another scenario for, for the end times. And it will get done, you know. Yes. No, no, it's, it's the ones that are truly faithful in the end times that will be the elect. Well, <clears throat> the conclusion I've come to is that if necessary, the angels will help to finish the work. You know, they, they'll get more active than they are already, which they do some things even now. They, they go to people and tell them, you go talk to the Adventists. And so we have some of that activity, but a lot more of that could happen. Now, here's the reason. If God goes too long, he will get less people saved. And he knows when that time is, and he's not going to go past that. He is in the business of saving the maximum. And so I believe that if we don't do our task soon enough, the angels will kick in and it will get finished before he starts having less that he can save out of this whole world. That, that's my take on it, but you know there may be other reasons too of why he, he will step in if need be. Now, I wanted to point out one other thing that dawned on me one day. <clears throat> When a pastor or a teacher says, I have a message for the Adventist church, 
Other people haven't seen it, but I have seen it, and I have a message for the Adventist Church. One of two things. They're either right or they're wrong. But most of them are wrong. They don't have a message for the Adventist Church. But what they are actually saying, in a sense, it's a subtle sense. They're saying, I am Christ. I have a message from him. They don't today usually claim to be prophets because they know the stigma attached to that. But they claim to have truth. I call it the Savior Syndrome, that they're going to save the church and present this message that either nobody else has or very few people have, we're, we're going to save the church. That's another form of saying, I am Christ. In other words, Jesus has given me special light, you know. And we do know at times in history God has done that. William Miller got special light and so on. But even then, he wasn't the only one in the world that had the message. Yes. Well, for sure, since 1844. Absolutely. And I think the time for pussyfooting is going past it says, Satan looks with great satisfaction upon those who profess the name of Christ. That's us, right? Could even include others, but I think it's especially talking about us. Yet, closely adhere to the delusions which he himself has originated. Here, is how we make Satan happy. If we're a Seventh-day Adventist, we claim to be the special people of God, to carry the final message to the world, and we get deceived, that really makes Satan happy. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that taking place today. His work is still to devise new delusions. And his power and art in this direction continually increase. So now he's getting so tricky. You know, I'm sure you've all had the experience of standing on a railroad track and looking down the railroad track of the street. And, and if you can look far enough, you can't see there's two rails anymore. And that is what Satan is doing right now. Yes. The Ten Commandments judge has made a lot of waves lately. That I wrote to an atheist in California a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I think that Roy Moore is a bellwether of things to come. Okay. Well, we would stand with him on the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Now, <clears throat> as we think about the delusions that are coming now, 
they are extremely difficult to show the error because Satan has been polishing his skill at presenting delusions. And that's why more and more people are falling for these things. His power and art in this direction continually increase. He led his representatives, the popes and the priests, to exalt themselves and to stir up the people to bitterly persecute and destroy those who were not willing to accept his delusions. But if we take the thrust of this quotation, we see that a lot of time has gone by since this verse was written, and the devil has learned even more how to trip people up. I'm convinced that some people, when you tell them clearly the error they are in, they are unable to see it at all. They cannot see it because it's so subtle, and yet it can be seen. But it takes two things. It takes a real knowledge of the Bible, and it takes the presence of the Holy Spirit that points out to us so that we see the difference between truth and what that is saying, yes. True. can't really believe the Bible and accept that. Now, if you'd like to know what the worst delusion is, we have it right here in the 1888 materials, page 796. So effectually does this delusion take possession of heart and mind that the sharp arrows of the Lord fail to penetrate the armor of self-righteousness in which they are encased. That's the worst deception. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been battling with that previous to 1888. Been battling with that. And you know what? One of the greatest deceptions, I think, that makes it worse than it was when this first was penned. Today, most historians, Adventist historians, say, yeah, it's true. As a church back in 1888, we didn't accept the message that God sent. But since that time, we have accepted it. Well, I'm sure some people have accepted it. There were some people who accepted it back then, but the majority have not. If they had, we would no longer be the Laodicean church. We would be finishing the work in a short time. So this deception of thinking we're okay, 
and the tendency to look around at other church members and say, well, you know, I'm at least as good as they are. What, what they're doing uh, must be okay to do. He's an elder, he's a deacon, he's a pastor, so it must be okay. We're, we're taking our standard of righteousness from what the other church members are doing. And we don't see that we haven't even accepted Jesus fully into our hearts. And anyone that does not accept Jesus fully to where they can honestly say, I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength, anybody that cannot say that is a self-righteous person. And they are living according to their own righteousness. Now, of course, we can say the words and it's not be true, but I think the Holy Spirit would tell us if we tried to say that when it wasn't really true and would say, wait a minute, you're not really being honest here with us. So Satan is really happy with this. The spell is so strong that they will listen to the truth, the most earnest and powerful, even to the very portraying of the delusions which are upon them without any thought of self-examination to see if it means them. Does that sound scary to you? I wouldn't want to be in that position, would you? To hear a, a message that is pointing out our, our need and to sit there and say, well, I hope so-and-so uh, gets that. I hope they understand what it's saying. But myself, I don't get it. Yes. That reminds me of another statement she made. The admonition that you most desperately need is the one you're most likely to reject. That's right. That's right. And we're looking at the one that is the most dangerous for a person to think they're in, think they belong to Jesus when they don't. And therefore, they don't feel the need of the messages. That's been the problem in the Adventist church, the number one problem, and it hasn't gone away. How are we going to find it out? Self-examination. Something has to come along. And it has to say to us, you better ask the Lord to help you think through what your real case is. It says, this is the class our Savior found most difficult to arouse. So he tried to help the Pharisees. He tried to help the scribes. All the, but they were the hardest group to get. And the same is true. Seventh-day Adventists are the hardest people to reach. And I'm not saying all have that problem, you know. God has always had his faithful ones. And in the Jewish nation, the same. He had his faithful ones. But unfortunately, this is the terrible disease that has taken in so many. And if we don't think we have it, it would be wise to ask him anyway, to make sure, and ask him to search our hearts 
and reveal it. Uh, same source, page 796 and 7. The most authoritative teachings were heard and listened to as if they heard not. You see, God was trying to help pastors even. Wake up. You're not converted. You haven't really accepted Jesus as your Savior. Can you imagine how hard it is to tell a pastor that when, he's, when he thinks he's converted and he thinks that he's in? That was the problem. Thus it is with many, many in this generation. There will be a hatred kindled against the testimonies, which is satanic. Now God did something to try to protect the Adventist church. He raised up a prophet. He knew what the future held. And so he explained through the prophet all the deceptions that were going to come up. And so with the Bible, people are not going to be able to figure it out. They're going to get tripped up. But if they use the Bible and the gift of prophecy, they won't get tripped up. That's the last generation. If we didn't need it, it wouldn't have been given. But we desperately need it. So today, we need to be studying both. We need to be putting together the information that fits together so that we're not deceived. Yes. That's true. That's very true. And uh, I notice that most people are going to a modern translation. Now, I'm not against that for readability. But for accuracy, the King James is still the most accurate. It's not perfect, but it's still the most accurate. So we need to double check what the others have said with that one. Plus... Uh, what God has revealed, trailing away. And that will help us to be safe if we're really open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says, The workings of Satan will be to unsettle the faith of the churches in them for this reason. Satan cannot have so clear a track to bring in his deceptions and bind up souls in his delusions if the warnings and reproofs and counsels of the Spirit of God are heeded. So here we have two huge deceptions. Number one, that we think we are dedicated to Jesus, that we actually belong to him, and we're still uh, living our own righteousness. We're not, we're not being guided uh, by him living out his righteousness, but we are in our own, appearing in our own righteousness. And can you imagine the danger of people that have that problem and what they're going to do with the gift of prophecy? And so we see a tremendous 
attitude today that, well, times have changed. We don't need these writings so much like we used to need them. And, you know, some of the books are wonderful, like The Tsar of Ages and some of these, but when it comes to the ones that really tell us how we're supposed to be in order to meet Jesus, those are the ones that people are thinking are no longer as valuable. And now we begin, if, if these things are visible to us, we begin to see how Satan has been working on this church to try to destroy the one church that has the message for the last days. Yes. Oh, is she saying that we don't need the spirit of prophecy because we have the Bible? Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well. The one point that I haven't noticed anybody saying is that the same is true of the Bible prophets. In other words, the Bible started with the writings of Moses, and everything else that got written was a further expansion. It wasn't establishing new doctrine. It was a further expansion of what was already there. And it just keeps, you know, getting bigger and bigger as time goes on until we got the final in Ellen White. Uh, you know, that part would help a lot of people to not set aside Ellen White because one of the deceptions is that there's a difference between the Bible writers and Ellen White. They, they work every angle possible to say there's a difference between these, these things. And that's where, you know, if you accept that error, then you're going to accept other errors that are based on that one. So I wanted to clarify whether she, you know, was clear on that one. Desire of Ages 635. When the scorner, the rejecter of truth, has become presumptuous, when the routine of work, here's three evidences of the soon coming of Christ. Number one, the, the scorner, the one that rejects truth, has become presumptuous. They're no longer worried. They can come out in the open and say what they have on their mind because they're not worried about God doing anything to them. That's one sign. When the routine of work in the various money-making lines is carried on without regard to principle. 
So people are so eager to make money that they don't worry about honesty. They don't worry about the various principles that should belong in business activity. They're just determined, you know, to get ahead. That's a sign. And the third one, when the student is eagerly seeking knowledge of everything but his Bible, Christ comes as a thief. You know, I think Seventh-day Adventists worship education today. And they will sacrifice anything to get an education. But when we sacrifice the Bible to get an education, it says the people that do those three things are some, anyway, you know, many have gotten away with it already, but someday when people are doing those three things, Jesus is going to come as a thief and they're not going to be ready. And of course, a lot of the others weren't ready either by doing those three things in the past. It's just that Jesus didn't close probation or he didn't, he didn't come. Uh, Sons and Daughters, page 354. Christ sees the termination of the conflict. The battle is waging more and more fiercely. Soon he will come whose right it is and will take possession of all earthly things. All the confusion in our world, all the violence and crime are a fulfillment of the words of Christ. They are the signs of the nearness of his coming. You know, when you read that, you think of the shootings that are becoming so frequent that here is evidence that this confusion is taking place. It almost seems to me that the devil is just taking people over. Some of these are terrorists probably, but they're not all. The devil is moving in on people, taking them over, and they're doing these horrible deeds. But it's a sign, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> risk management at the general conference level is, is sending out information seeking to prepare our churches for just that, uh, the, uh, the battle of the Mm-hmm. Well, that's... Violence and crime is right there in that That's certainly a, a good move, you know, for everyone to be prepared. Plus, it gives us an excellent uh, soul-winning opportunity when we help people that are hurting. And it seemed like the focus in that message was for our churches to train the people in the church to know how to uh, escape or to know how to avoid uh, being, uh, being killed in oh. a shooting or something like that. Oh, okay, well. To manage the risk of, uh, of those things happening to us. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know what went on in that church, but 
those of us that have had some army training, you know, you hit the floor. I mean, you're not as good a target if you're on the floor. Uh, as And, of course, you may be able to get out due to the pews, but, uh, yeah, it's it wouldn't hurt to have that. In uh, Councils on Diets and Foods, page 146, tells us another uh, sign. The same sins that brought judgments upon the world in the days of Noah exist in our day. Men and women now carry their eating and drinking so far that it ends in gluttony and drunkenness. So, you know, the it seems like, especially in this country, the, the appetite has gone wild. And uh, we are in danger of it affecting us as well. This prevailing sin, the indulgence of perverted appetite, inflamed the passions of men in the days of Noah and led to widespread corruption. Now, I'm sure not one of us would want to say we had the victory over appetite, but this is a battle that has to be won. We, we cannot avoid this battle. And those that are not avoiding it become a sign of the times. Mm. If, if your work is not finished, I'm not, I'm not saying we should be careless, but if your work is not finished, that bullet can't find you. Yeah, I, I really believe the same point. You know, uh, now God doesn't always spare people's lives, but we have lots of experiences where someone wanted to kill someone and they weren't able. I, one of the, my favorite stories is, uh, I think it was William Farrell. And he just finished preaching and he was uh, shaking hands at the door and a man came up to him with a gun and stuck it in his stomach and pulled the trigger and the bullet came out to the end of the gun and dropped on the floor. So, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared, but uh, we need the best preparation, which is enough faith and trust in God that he's more powerful than anything else. And there's enough stories around, you know, to strengthen our faith on that. Yeah, no panic. We're, we're trusting in God, and we need to be ready to die. You know, because if we die and we're ready, it doesn't matter. We're in. And if we're always ready, we don't even have to panic about death. Councils on Diets and Foods 146, Christ has here left us a most important lesson. He would lay before us the danger of making our eating and drinking paramount. He presents the results, the result of unrestrained indulgence of appetite. And here's the danger. The moral powers are enfeebled. So if our moral powers are enfeebled and we got these sneaky deceptions 
coming, how are we going to be able to tell that it's a deception? The moral powers are enfeebled so that sin does not appear sinful. Crime is lightly regarded and passion controls the mind until good principles and impulses are rooted out and God is blasphemed. So it's a slippery slope and we just keep going down. All this is the result of eating and drinking to excess. This is the very condition of things which Christ declares will exist at his second coming. And could we add, it will exist within the church. It, you know, if we see others doing it, it is a strong temptation to think it's okay because others are doing it and they seem very godly. And so it's okay. But it's too late to make our path based on what others are doing. We have to make it based on what God said. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for us to ignore anything that God has said is very dangerous because we know about the Bible, we know about the writings of Ellen White, and we've read a lot of things. And then we hear others at times. And so God expects us to jump on it and, and go for it. And ask his help to uh, overcome. Well, uh, I'm going to stop there. That's probably enough to chew on. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>